to finish the series on first things today, and I wanted to wrap it up on money because money is very spiritual. You may not think so. And some of you are thinking, oh gosh, here I come, I come to church and he, he's going to talk about money. That's what I hear about all churches. This is going to be very upbeat, very positive, very illuminating, and I trust it's going to set some of you free because I'm going to say some things about money you're not often going to hear. Okay? How many of you can say, I like money? How many of you can say, I'd like some more? <laughs> well, I have a truthful congregation today. All right, let's put it up here. And um, the tithing verse is actually my lead verse today. Uh, but this is Jesus talking. So this is, the, the, this is in the red ink. Jesus, the Son of God, said this. He said, give and you receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down. It's, it's, read this with me. Press down. Shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. That sounds good to me. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you talked about finances. So if you talked about it, we should. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to set us free from misconceptions and uh, from wrong teaching today. You're going to set us free indeed regarding our finances. I pray you will give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand. Help me, Lord, anoint me to communicate this faithfully in a balanced manner, biblically, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I said amen. Turn to somebody and say amen. I thought about calling this today the Sermon on the Amount. I decided against it. I thought it was kind of corny. The Sermon on the Amount. But I am going to call it what happens when you give. What happens when you give? Now, we've dealt with first things for six weeks, and we've talked about uh, several things, and I, and I would encourage you if you've missed... Any of that, you can grab the CDs or you can look it up online. But um, we've dealt with putting God first because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Well, that reaches out and encompasses many different things. And uh, one of them is certainly our finances because finances are spiritual. As a matter of fact, they're directly linked to our relationship with God. Let me put it another way. If God's got your wallet, God's got you. If God doesn't have your wallet yet, then God doesn't fully have you. And I really think the last thing God gets with a lot of us is our wallet because we hang on to that money. Now, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And right there, he made money spiritual because where your treasure is, that's where I'm going to find your heart. Now, we could flip that and say, where your heart is, there's where I'm going to find your treasure. Now, I know that the Bible says God wants our heart. So if God wants our heart, then it matters where our treasure is. Everybody in here has a treasure. You, you, have, you have anointed something, chosen something, placed something as the ultimate treasure 
in your life. And the whole reason for this series on the kingdom of God is God wants him, himself, his kingdom to be our ultimate treasure, our first thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That is what I seek to do every single day in my life. I get up and I give God everything. I give him, I say, Lord, instruct me and teach me in the way that I should go today. Guide me with your eye. Order my steps according to your word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Be Lord of who comes into my life and Lord of who goes out. Be Lord of everything. And and when I put him first, then I'm on track to really experience what God intended when he sent Jesus. This is more about heaven. It's more than about heaven. It's here on earth as well. His presence is heaven to me. Amen? Now, this is not a message with an agenda, I promise you. I'm not communicating this to get more money from you. In fact, most of you consider TPC your home, and you've already given. I think when you have a home church, you give to your home church. As as we enter a brand new year, and that's another reason I did this series at the beginning of the year, I want to say thanks because of what you've already done in 2016. We were able to do so much because of your giving. And more importantly, not only do we see it as a big deal, I see what you gave as a big deal, but God considers it a big deal. Maybe you gave in 2016 without so much as a second thought. You just gave it. You just gave. But you may have wrestled many nights over what your financial sacrifice would require of you and your family. You had to deal with it. You had to talk about it. You had to make a family decision. And so whatever you ended up doing, it was significant, significant. So today, what I want to deal with is the upside, the positive side to giving. And that is God's response to your generosity, to my generosity, to generosity whenever he sees it. So I want to go all the way back to the book of beginnings and I want to tell you something about you. I'm going to tell you something about you that you need to understand about you. It says in the book of Genesis, in the book of beginnings, that we were made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God. When you look at the beginning of human history, you see Elohim, that's the Hebrew name for God having to do with creation, the creator. Elohim is the creator God. And we find Elohim, the creator God, creating all things, bringing creation into existence by his very spoken word, ex nihilo, a Latin phrase meaning something came out of nothing. He didn't take something and make something else. That's what we have to do. None of us, no human being can make something out of nothing. We have to have something to make something else out of it. But God didn't. God spoke and something came out of nothing. Something appeared in the presence of nothing. He said, let there be light and there was light. Let there be birds in the air and they fill the air and all their beauty and multicolors and The incredible thing that God did, I love God's creation. God created the tomato plant. He created the giant redwood tree. He created the coffee bean. And he said, it is good. (laughs) 
He made zebras, eagles, whales, ladybugs. I'm going to have one question for God when I get to heaven. Why did you make the mosquito? I see no redeeming thing in the mosquito. I'm sure you had your reasons. He is a fallen creature. He made the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, and the fish of the sea. But listen to me now. The pinnacle of God's creation, the apex, the best of the best, what he put most of his time in was you. He made you in the image of God. Man and woman created he them. And the divine fingerprint placed on those first human beings reaches all the way down to us today. Listen to what Genesis said. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Notice the plurals, us and our. It's the Godhead having a talk with each other. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Let us, we three, let us make man in our image. God spoke it. The Son amended it. The Holy Ghost brought it forth. They were all involved, though, all three, the Godhead. So you, you find something you didn't see with any of the animals or anything else. You find God talking to himself, the Godhead saying, all right, we're going to put major time into this, major attention, major focus, because what we're about to do now, we're going to make this one in our image. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God created he them. He also said in our likeness. That's different. Image is the word icon. We get icon from that. And and, and it means a resemblance, something that resembles something else. But likeness means that God put into man his character. His character. You're not just looking at something that resembles God, but we're looking at something that took on his likeness, his character, his ways. Oh, you are special in the creation of God. You have high value. You are not fearfully and wonderfully evolved You have been fearfully and wonderfully made, fashioned, knitted, created, formed, shaped by the hand of God. Male and female, he created them. He created the genders. And they're not the same. I don't think that's a revelation to any of you. Especially if you're married, you know they are not the same. Male and female, I think it's interesting that God made the point, the Holy Ghost writing the Bible, moving out holy men of old to write it, said, be sure you mention the genders, male and female, he created them. You and I and everybody on the planet, of every age, color, and gender, were formed in the very image and likeness of God, and this matters. I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me. Now, I want you to let it sink in. You were made... In the likeness of God, in the likeness of Elohim, in the likeness of the mighty creator. You're different from every other created thing because you were created in the image, in the image of the creator God. 
I want you to think that the very first thing God ever said about you and me was this. You were created to resemble me. I created you to resemble me. We're not supposed to be devil-like. We're supposed to be God-like. Now, there's no question about it that sin has muddied the water. When man fell, his character fell, his nature fell. So now, a lot of the character of God has been lost. We're selfish instead of loving, and we live for ourselves. We're self-centered. We're narcissistic. We, do all the, we sin all the time. But listen to this. The kernel, the core, the, the, the original mark is still there. The image, the image that you've been made in, the divine mark, the divine fingerprint is still on your soul. You can't get away from it. You are like him. You can't get away from it. You bear the image of God. We were created to display all the characteristics of the one whose mark we bear. Now, here's what that means. God is love, so we love. Have you ever noticed that most of the music on the radio has to do with love? It's a love song. It's about your heart being broken or your heart being mended or finding somebody new and talking about the glories of being in love. I don't know what the percentages are, but I would wager 80 to 90% of hit songs have to do with love or a relationship. Why is it so important to us? Because we bear the image of our maker and he is a lover. He is a lover. He is a relator. God is just. So we seek justice for wrongs committed. God is kind, so we show kindness. But listen to this, God gives. God gives, so we are called to be generous. God gives and we give. Part of the mark, part of the fingerprint of God is that we are givers by nature. We we want to reach out and we want to help people when we see a need. I've often thought to myself, because I love God's creation, I really do love it. I, I am so appreciative of the creation of God. I'm amazed by it all the time. You can just look at a sparrow, just a dull sparrow, and look at the beauty of that little bird. I think God just said, be, and it was in his mind that he created this beautiful creature that flies and tweets. and lives and cares for its young. I've I've thought of this, that the entire creation bears the mark of a giving God because the entire creation testifies that God is a giver. Jesus said this, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. He gives to them. He takes care of them. He providentially takes care of their needs each and every day because God's a giver. He doesn't create them and say, go fend for yourself. You're on your own. God bless. I'm going off somewhere else. No, he every day, that's what providence means. Providence means that God providentially cares for his creation. The psalmist wrote, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God's a giver. God's a giver. God's a giver. Oh, thank God, God is a giver. But guess what? If he takes care of the sparrow, Jesus said, if you watch him taking care of the sparrow, you can know for a fact he's going to take care of you because you're of much more value than many sparrows because you were made in the image of God. 
You were created in the image of God. Romans 8.32, listen to this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variables, neither shadow of change. Jesus said he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He loads up benefits for us each and every single solitary day. Our God is a giver. He's a giving God. You don't have to worry if he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. The greatest testimony of the giving hand of God is something that I can't comprehend, but it's found in the fact that God so loved the world. He gave his only son. He knew that nothing could redeem us but the blood of his own son. And how much of a giver is God? He caused his own son to come to the earth, his own son who was there involved in the council of the Godhead when creation happened, let us make man. One of those three who said, let us make man, and was involved in making man, had also already agreed to be our redeemer. God so loved the world he gave, his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves you. That's what a giver God is. I couldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. I don't understand love like that. That kind of love goes beyond my ability to wrap my mind around it, but I know it's true because the Bible says it's true. He so loved us. He gave Jesus. So say with me, he's a giving God. And here's a life-changing truth. When you were knitted by God in your mother's womb, and you were, when you were knitted by God in your mother's womb, being formed in the image of God, you were wired, hardwired for generosity because that's part of the nature of God. God's generous nature is imprinted on your soul. I was in a a, a food line this week at Kroger. I I was in, in the line with a thing of food, basket of food. Have you ever noticed There's not a basket in those stores that goes straight. I've wondered, what is it? Are these women involved in roller derbies? Do they get, are they crashing into each other? Because I can't find a cart that goes straight. They all take me in, in, in circles and I have to keep the thing on track. So I've gotten where I pull, you know, five or six of them out to make sure this one goes straight. It's a mystery to me, like socks that get lost in the dryer. How are all these carts going crooked? If you find out, you let me know. But I'm in line. And right in front of me is this little woman in a wheelchair. And she's in a wheelchair, and she's older. She, she's in her 70s or 80s, and her little hands are shaking. And, and, and she's gotten, she has gone through the whole store. I saw her when I was shopping. She was just driving around that little wheelchair, picking things up off the shelf. There were a couple of times I had to wait on her and, and go around her. And so I knew who she was, and I ended up right behind her. And I noticed her little hands were trembling. And the woman gave her the price, and, and she put a card uh, to, in, into the little slot there, the chip, to, to, to pay for it. And so she's sitting there waiting. And then and the woman said, I'm sorry, but it rejected your card. 
So I'm sitting there thinking, wow, and my heart goes out to her, and something happened inside of me, and, and, and I saw her reach for another card, and I made a deal with God. I told God, if this one doesn't work, I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pay for it. I'm just going to lean forward, and I'm going to tell her, hey, listen, God told me to pay for it. I already had it in my mind what I was going to do. She pulled out her second car, and she slipped it in, and we're all sitting there waiting, and, and it, re- it, it accepted it, and I was so disappointed because I was ready. I had my wallet in my hand. I was ready to lean down and say, sweetie, listen, I'll be glad to pay for your groceries. That's okay. Jesus told me, and I didn't get to do it. Now, why did that matter to me? Because I'm hooked up to the greatest giver in the history of the world, Jesus Christ and God the Father. And I wanted to do it. I watched her wheel out, and I thought, man, I should have done it before the first card. You see, see, we are hooked up. The greatest giver in the history of the world lives inside of you. And so we resemble him when it comes to being generous. You're doing what you were created to do when you're generous. The apostle Paul told the church, we are God's handiwork. We're on the potter's wheel each and every day. We are his project every day. We are God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God doesn't save bench warmers. Everybody in here is called to be involved in good works. And one of those works is to give to what God is doing because the generosity of the Lord flows in us. It's in our DNA. It's in our spiritual genetic makeup. You were made to give. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give, and I believe that. Now, a second giving truth is when we give, it pleases God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that believes, he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so when we give, it's a, an act of faith. There's always something else you could give it to. There's always something else you could spend it on regarding yourself, but when we give, it's an act of faith, and I see in the Bible that when we give by faith and we give generously out of a generous, God-like heart, it pleases the Lord. I know this because in Luke 21, we find Jesus watching the rich, giving money into the temple treasury. He was watching the bucket get passed in our modern-day language. He was watching the bucket get passed. He was watching how people gave. I want you to notice, Jesus was watching how people gave. And he notices after all these rich people, a poor little widow, like that woman in the wheelchair at the store, who puts in two very small copper coins. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty... She out of her poverty, she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. This was her grocery money. This was her mortgage money. This was her all she had. It wasn't 10%. It was 100%. This little woman dropped it all in, and Jesus was watching. And Jesus immediately was pleased 
and bragged on her. Here was a little woman of little value in her time and culture. She had no man to take care of her and provide for her. In those days, a a woman needed a man to live a decent life. That's just the way it was. Her small donation would hardly make a difference to most observers. In one of the other Gospels, we're told that her coins were worth what represented about six minutes of an average daily wage. If you had gone and worked six minutes in an average job in that day, that's the amount of money she had, six minutes worth. And she dropped it all in. But her small gift caught the attention of Jesus and the Holy Spirit put her story in the Bible for you and me today. It has blessed hundreds of millions through the centuries. This little woman who had almost nothing, who was in poverty, who was not flowing in money, who was not prosperous, gave all that she had and Jesus noticed it. Now you think he took care of her the rest of her life? After he was risen from the dead, you think he watched out for that little woman? Now, maybe like her, you feel like your donations are insignificant because you don't make much. You might be living by paycheck to paycheck, struggling to scrape together just enough money to drop a little bit in, and, and you're feeling like, I don't count. I can't do much. And the devil's getting you to build a case against yourself. I wish I could do more, but I can't do much. I'm a no count. I don't make much money. But you know what? That's a lie. Because what you give matters greatly to Jesus. He sees it. And what he cares about more than the amount is the spirit you give it in. He cares about the spirit you give it in. It says God loves a grumpy giver. God loves a depressed giver. God loves a coerced giver. No, it says God loves a cheerful giver. He saw that this woman had great faith and she made it into the Bible. Now, a third giving truth is this. You cannot, I don't care on your best day, you cannot, it is impossible to outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Paul wrote to the Philippian church and we love the verse that says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We love that one. We name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. We love that verse. But listen, something comes before that verse because Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, I want to thank you for giving to this ministry. I want to thank you for supporting our missions work. I want to thank you for the gift that was a sweet-smelling sacrifice to me and to God. And then he says, In light of that, your generosity is going to be rewarded by my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The giving generously preceded the promise of provision. Now, I believe the Bible shows a clear connection between generosity and God's provision. But I want to balance that. I want to balance that with something that I believe is going to answer some misteaching that's out there. There's some bad teaching out there about money. There's some things that I think misrepresent money, misrepresent the Bible. And so let me give a little bit of balance to the idea that that if I give, I'm going to receive from God. Okay? Here's the balance. I don't believe you have to give money to move God's hand. Now, I'm going to say that again because some of you are in shock that I said it. I'm going to say it again. I don't believe you've got to sow a seed financially 
to be blessed by God. Now, I'm going to balance this out, so stay with me. But I want to set some of you free because the, the teaching is so prevalent in our day that you've got to give something financial before God will bless you that I think it's almost become an idea that if I don't give, I'm not going to get grace or favor or healing or provision from God. And I want to tell you that's not true. You don't have to purchase a healing. You don't have to purchase an answer to prayer. You don't have to buy God's guidance over your life. You don't have to put money down for God to bless you. Listen, the Bible says, ask and you will receive, period. If you don't have a dime to your life, if you're living wrapped up in a cord bar, cord, what am I looking for? Cardboard box in downtown Fort Worth and you don't have a roof over your head and you pray in faith, God is going to bless you. Say with me, ask, and you will receive. Faith moves God. Faith moves God. Standing on the promises moves God. Let me give you something else. I don't believe that by giving you can twist the arm of God in your favor. Some people incorrectly teach this belief and they reduce God to a slot machine. Or even worse, a deity who's more interested in your money than in your holiness. Let me tell you something about the God we serve. He doesn't need our money. Uh, God doesn't sit up there in heaven and say, oh, no, they didn't give what they should. Jesus, what shall we do with our ultimate plan for the world? No, God can speak and create money. God's got a mint in heaven that puts the, the, the United States Treasury to shame. God can make money. God doesn't need our money, but listen, we need to give. We need to give because it's God-like. It's in our nature to give. Giving is not a formula to corner God into giving you a new car. If I give this money, Lord, I'm going to trust you for that new car. So you give that money, you expect that new car. Let me tell you, that's faulty thinking. If you put money, listen, you think if you put money in the offering bucket that you're going to get that amount back or more? Can I pop your bubble today? God doesn't promise to surprise you with a forgotten rebate of double the amount in the mail this week that you put in the offering bucket. You're not going to have somebody come knocking on your door and say, hey, I had a dream and a vision to give you this money because last Sunday you, you, you put money in the offering bucket. You say, well, Jeff, you're preaching in a way that's going to lower the giving of your church. No, I'm not. Because listen, I have discovered that New Testament giving is not Old Testament mandated. New Testament giving is not mandated, it's grace dated. A $100 contribution might not result in a $100 blessing, but here's what I can tell you for sure. When you give generously, you will be blessed in some way. You will be blessed, and you can't outgive God. He's going to bless you if you're generous. The blessing might not be financial because there's things better than money. Oh, I could start naming them. The Holy Ghost living inside of you, you can't buy that. Your salvation, you can't buy that. People being saved, you can't buy that. The peace of God, you can't buy that. 
fellowship with the saints. You can't buy that. The Beatles said one thing true, money can't buy you love. The best things in life, since the best things in life can't be bought with money, then the most important blessings from God may not be financial at all. Here's what I believe. A generous heart with the favor of God is better than great wealth without his favor. Now, I want you to listen to Jesus one more time. Listen to all the wills in this verse. Given, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaking together, make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You will be blessed. You will when you're generous. Kathy and I always tithed. We always did. When we had next to nothing, we tithed. And we gave to our church. We weren't church hoppers. I think we were in two, two churches our whole before I started senior pastoring. And we always tithed. We always gave, this week, I was going through a suit and I, and I happened to reach into this pocket and I pulled out a check and I opened it and it's one of the last things Kathy wrote and it was a tithe check, tithe check. I looked at that thing and I thought, now that's Kathy. That's Kathy. She was a giver. Do you know that it's been six months? And when I saw that check, I said, Kathy, this is part of your legacy on our church. You were a giver. You were a giver. And I took that check, and man, I gave it. Amen? We never believed we would be cursed. If we didn't tithe, we just believe we would miss blessing if we didn't tithe. And we also believe that 90% with God's blessing goes further than 100% without honoring God. Now, finally, we come to the church. What you are giving to God's call on turning point matters. When you give, you're not just giving to cover expenses, and we have expenses but you help fund a part of what God is doing worldwide and what he's doing. He's using our church to see lives change constantly, constantly. Every penny given to this church is an investment in eternity because he's changing lives. Let me just read to you a couple of testimonies in closing. Here's what you're giving for. This person writes, I just wanted to say how much your teaching has encouraged me. There's been a trial I've been going through for years, and those teachings confirm for me things God has been doing in my life. What a beautiful God we serve. Here's another one. Just wanted you to know your ministry has helped to save me from me. I read that, and I thought, how many times have you needed for God to save you from you? Amen? So they said, they said God has helped save me from me through your church. And then they write, I may have gone down the wrong path if God had not intervened through you. He's so merciful. Here's another one. In all honesty, I've never been to a church that moves me and touches me the way Turning Point does, and I can't thank you enough. And here's one more. Since I've been attending your church, my life has changed in every way. You can't buy that. You can't buy that. So I want you to stand with me today, would you? 
And say with me, let's say it together. I'm made in his image. Oh, that is so important. Can we just thank him that we are made in the image of God? Can we just thank the Lord? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now say with me, he's pleased when I'm generous. And then finally, I can't outgive God. He's going to chase you down with blessing when you're generous. Sometimes with finances, sometimes with things money can't buy. He's going to chase you down. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. The generous soul shall be made fat, the Bible says. The generous soul shall be made fat. Father, we thank you for the generosity that you showed when you gave Jesus. You gave Jesus a gift to us. You redeemed us. You saved us. Thank you for that gift, Lord. Now, if you're free to do it, if you would just lift your hands towards heaven. And say with me, Lord, in this new year, I want to keep the main thing, the main thing in my relationships, in my finances, with my time. And Lord, I pray that this year you are honored in my finances. 